2: Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball, and uh, we got some great shows for you upcoming with uh, more long-form interviews over so many of the coaches and players that you that you love and like. I did want to do a quick little pod on a couple things that are that are going on in the world of hoops, and I thought it was. I think like this is like a super important time, believe it or not, just because. So many of you, like me, we love basketball. Surround, watch basketball. Read social media, which is like kind of become our, right, like our daily newspaper sort of thing. And if you read, you know, now with everybody's comments being kind of judged the same, the freak out over colleges and their portal situation or their rosters with the new world of the NIL is is really interesting. And I want to get to that in a second. We'll also talk a little bit about uh, the media which I'm a member of. I'm not one of these guys. I I hate get people that are in the media and they'll say like, you know, the media, like, well, Hey dude, you're actually in the media. So whatever narrative is being set, you are setting said narrative. So the media, which I'm a part of and our treatment of, of Kawhi Leonard, more specifically of how we break down the NBA, how the NBA is covered. It's really interesting. As you watch kind of the polar opposite style coming from the NCAA tournament to watching the NBA playoffs in terms of style of coverage, and, you know, who people go after and why they go after them. And then I thought we could also do a little something, a little something on the NBA draft as we're going to kind of crank up closer and closer to the draft and some of the coaching hires have been made. So let's start with NIL because I'll give you a couple things that are just like interesting. You know, with Nemhart going to Gonzaga, uh, Arizona Twitter nation is freaking out. Because the, the premise of what people thought was, well, Ryan Emhart's at Creighton. He would only leave to go play somewhere that you can maybe win a national championship or become like his brother a pro. And because his brother was supposedly recruited by Tommy Lloyd, then, of course, he's going to go to follow Tommy Lloyd to Arizona because Arizona lost Kirk Carissa. And Kirk Carissa, by the way, signs at West Virginia, which just feels... <laughs> like an odd fit, but I mean, Huggy and his group, they've done a really good job in terms of NIL. They've gotten after it. They got the center from, uh, from Syracuse and they're, they're rolling in terms of kind of their new group as they're trying to put it together. Let's just kind of explain sort of how it works again. And this is because I've tried to do a little bit of a deep dive into NIL stuff into the market and how it works by talking to, coaches players agents and really kind of informing myself because i knew or i thought i knew but the more you you listen and learn you're like wow it's kind of eye-opening that it's not exactly as it's perceived by most fans and by the media and maybe even my perception on some level is, is off as not being as inside as somebody who's actually a college coach but generally you know you have different sorts of guys that enter the portal and many of these players that enter the portal The number one reason they enter the portal is they're looking for more money. That's it. And that's where we talk about free agency. And the odd part about calling college basketball in 2023 free agency is the difference in free agency in college basketball, the difference in free agency in the real world professional athletics is you actually have to fulfill your contract (laughs) before you can become a free agent. You know, like in Major League Baseball, think of how many years you have to play. I and mean, really you got to play up to uh, five or six years of major league baseball time, not even counting the minor leagues to become a, at an actual free age. And yet here in college basketball, I mean, then I, the, the, everything has gone from, I, I thought a reasonable share in power, right? Like you, as much as it, it felt in the media, like there was an imbalance in power in coaches And administrators had this ability to stop a player's career. The reality is, you know, for a longest time, if you felt like you were being treated poorly, you could get out of your deal, you could get to a new school, and you could get to a place where you fit in better, right? Whereas now, there's a complete imbalance. There's, you know, if you want out of your national letter of intent, you just ask out, and they let you out. If not, the just social media and social pressure is so great, regardless of the fact that like no one forced you to sign no one, no one forces anybody to sign a national letter of intent. And yet when a team goes out and gets a player in the portal that plays your position and you feel like you're not going to play as much right away, you ask out and generally get out and then you're a free agent and you can renegotiate a new deal with a new school. It, that part is crazy. So if we start from Mm. the, the ground level, right? We start from high school recruiting changing dramatically where many college coaches will tell you like, man, I still like recruiting high school kids, but I have to go in knowing that there are some kids who, you know, hopefully if you get a top hundred, top 50 kid, you think you can stay for a year or two. And then outside of that, you, you got to either just get guys that, you know, it's a numbers game. How many can you hold on to? What type of kid is he? Is he willing to redshirt? Because you're going to be competing against, you know, college players, (laughs) grown men who have developed and honed their game. And whether or not they were as highly touted or have the upside of your high school kid, you'd prefer him because he's already been coached. He's already been in the weight room. He's already played a college season. And at this point in time, many of these kids that played at the low major, mid-major level, all they want to do is come in and win. And they get a little bit bigger check than they can, staying where they were previously. So how it affects the high school recruiting is going to be interesting moving forward because, you know, how much do you recruit high school kids? You know, because you, you're signing them to eventually play on somebody else's roster. I mean, that's just the reality to it. Look at, look at the high school kids and, you know, if you talk to college coaches, they'll tell you like, you know, I can maybe play a freshman, but having two on the court at one time, unless they're an absolute pro, like you're going to get destroyed. Because you still have COVID six-year, seventh-year kids, you have low-major, mid-majors that people missed on because of the COVID years where they were just recruited off of a, off of a huddle video, which was dated. I mean, it's a, it's a hard thing. So high school recruiting has changed dramatically and now with the live events going on. It's like a lot of these coaches you talk to, them, like, yeah, I'm going there. But I don't know. Do I go all in on any of these high school kids knowing that I, I'm really recruiting out of the portal? And I, and in the short term, that's what the sport actually looks like. I think that, that element to it is interesting, but l- let's just take the nemhart situation. Right. Like I, if whatever, whatever you say publicly has nothing to do with what's going on private. Right. You have to go all in on a player. You go through an agent, which again, completely legal. Right. You go all in and then, you know, at some point you got to have kind of a backup plan and when Nemhart's brother shows, you know, is pushing him to go to Gonzaga, it, it does show that it doesn't really have to do with his relationship with Tommy Lloyd. And it's not a negative towards Tommy Lloyd. It's just the reality. The kid had a great experience there. And he wants his brother to have a similar experience, you know. And then Creighton goes out and they sign a kid who I think is as valuable in the portal than Stephen Ashworth. Now, I'm, I'm interested as to whether or not Stephen can play the point full time. Because he's kind of like a college version of Steph Curry where he can play both point and off the ball. And then, you know, Creighton, you get Baylor Shireman back with Steven Ashworth back, and holy cow, can you shoot the ball? And now it comes down to what do you surround him with? Could Creighton be better off? Even though Nemhart's a better pure point guard than Stephen Ashworth in terms of fit and what you need and how you play, it does feel like Creighton's going to return to the more... Totally offensive-minded spread. Your court shoot the three shorter team than they have been, maybe the past year and a half, and maybe that fits them better. Maybe that's who they are. And and what happens to Gonzaga as Gonzaga looks like they're kind of back rolling here, getting high-level recruits and high-level transfers. Like like everybody's talking about all these uh, all the kids coming in at, from the from the portal for Gonzaga. Dusty Stromer's big time. He'll play right away. And depending upon who else. They get to come back, you know. If they get Anton Watson, or maybe they go out and get another portal big guy. I think, I think Gonzaga is going to be interesting, but I don't know if they're. I think they're better, you know, on the perimeter they were last year. What happens? Does Drew Timmy come back? He can. He said he doesn't want to. He said he's gone, but he sounds right to change his mind unless he's actually signed. There's two different contracts, right? There's the the agent representative contract for college, then there's the agent representative for pro. And unless you switch that contract over, you can still return. It's it's just the craziest kind of set of base rules that aren't crazy binding with a couple exceptions. Anyway, if you follow on social media, you'd think this, the end is near for Arizona hoops. And it's reasonable to be concerned at this point in time. But here's what you have to understand about the portal. There are waves to it. And there's another wave coming, right? You have the first wave, which is kids some of whom were asked to leave some of whom put their name in hoping their current school would increase what they were making in NIL. And some kids that just want to leave because they want to go uh, make money elsewhere. They want to be that, that free agent. And then you have the kids that have put their name in the NBA draft while maintaining their college eligibility. What does that allow you to do? That allows you to be in what you call the dark portal, right? In the portal, Agents talking to people, but not really talking to people, right? That would be illegal and that would be frowned upon. But we're just having a conversation and it doesn't involve the player. And if he pulls his name out of the draft, I mean, look at all the kids that have put their names in the draft. So now what happens? The second wave of the portal is players go, they have a workout. The feedback they get is, hey, dude, go back to college. You can make more money in college now than maybe you ever will as a pro. Stay as long as you can. And so some will go do that. Additionally, there'll be a wave of players who are at their current school chose to tell the coach they were coming back, whether they renegotiated an IO or not, but we're probably told, Hey, your role will be bigger. Everything will be better next year. Don't worry. And then that same coach has a kid they take in the portal and the current player gets nervous or doesn't like the idea that there's another guy coming to compete for those minutes for those field goal attempts. And they put themselves in the portal, right? So there's, there's at least another wave or two coming from the portal, and my advice to Arizona Wildcat fans is like, don't freak out. Tommy's going to have a team. My guess is they'll be pretty good. He's obviously been very good at international recruiting. That was his jam when he was at Gonzaga, and there isn't the portal for those kids. There's all it's, it's all sorts of, and there there are other kids that you may look and say, no game changers in the portal, which is not true. To run. Armstrong, the kid who played at uh, Cal Baptist. I mean, he's an elite point guard. He's he's in the portal. Many people think he'll end up at Providence, but you know now Arizona. They have, I'm sure, money to play with. They need a point guard, and it's been point guard you forever. Is that a place that they would go? Just a lot of different interesting elements to it, which you know, without talking to each coach, and again, even when you talk to the coaches, they're not going to necessarily share with you their plan A, their plan B, their plan C. But any of these guys that have been in this game for long enough know you, you actually have to have about five guys at each spot that you're recruiting at any time. And the second they commit elsewhere, you got to go to next man up. And some of these deals, believe it or not, are package deals, just like they've always been. Only now it's a package deal through an agency where you go and you, the, the agency says, look, all right, if you, you give me 600, you know, we get 600, we'll get these three kids. You know, and one of the kids could be a 250 kid. One of the kids could be a 100 kid. One of the kids could be a 150 kid, right? And maybe you overpace so you get all three in once. Like that legitimately happens. So the the message to the college basketball fan out there is not every kid that doesn't choose your school, your school completely wanted. Like I I know I'm not going to crush kids, but, you know, I was talking to one of the coaches of a top 10 team earlier this week. And I asked him about one of the higher level, mid-major, low-major players in the portal that they had had on a visit that they had reportedly offered. And his response was like, yeah, we're not getting him. And I just, the end of the day, I didn't really want him because he doesn't totally fit with how I like to play. I mean, he's like, I like him, but he doesn't necessarily fit, you know, whether it's a lot of these kids that played at the lower levels because they're the star player they haven't played the level of defense you need to, to compete at the higher level, you know, or they've just, you know, they've been, they've been dominant at that level. And now you get to where there's like athletes, but guys that are way more committed defensively. And can you hide that while well, understanding that as talented as they are offensively, it's not going to be as profound as you're playing against higher level competition and higher level athlete. So I think all of that is, is super, super complex. And, Again, the message is, like, I, I didn't say I like it, but understand that the process has changed dramatically. And I'm just using Arizona as the perfect kind of jumping off point. Oh, well, you know, like four guys in our roster. Well, last year at the Final Four, and so shortly thereafter, Kansas State had two players on their roster, one of whom was Marquise Noel, who nobody was doing backflips to keep. And, you know, they went out, used their connections, and figured out a way to put together a roster, and now you're going to do it again this year. So I, I just don't freak out. Let's wait. You got to almost wait until August. And by August, you look at your roster. And even then, you don't really know how good any of these players are. You know, you talk to a coach. You're like, hey, have you seen him? Yeah, I watched him on Synergy. And sometimes it's really hard to tell. What does that look like against an SEC, Big Ten, Pac-12, Big 12 level of of athlete, ACC level of athlete? It's it's like a different sport, you know? So I think that part is is fascinating. And and for these kids, many of the players are very bright, and they understand. Hey, I'm never going to be an NBA player. My path is going to be overseas. It's not like overseas money out of the gate is mid to high six figures. It's not. A lot of these guys that played at mid majors, you know, your first job is going to be less than a hundred grand. You know, fifty to hundred. And so, if you can make you know, 100, 150, 200 for one more year in college, why wouldn't you do that? Give yourself a little cushion so that you can take your first job overseas and, you know, be able to still send money home and take care of yourself and all this. Now, therein, by the way, lies kind of the rub and where we're setting kids up for failure is the numbers being thrown around are so obscene and really not realistic. You know, oftentimes you'll hear numbers in the six figures and then how they actually get to it is you combined Alston money, cost of attendance money, you know, you kind of piecemeal it together and it ends up being close to that number if and only if they achieve said marks. But it's gonna be interesting when these guys get out of college. The reality that hits them when there's no NBA, the G League is filled up with dudes, and you gotta go overseas. And you're like, wait, uh, you want me to play for what? I made more than that in college. Yes, you did. Uh, and then the, the last part to it, which is really interesting, is going to be how are these guys remembered? And and where is their quote-unquote basketball home, right? I mean, that part's really interesting. Like, let, take Hunter Dickinson. You know, I know he can put on the WWE character, you know, be the heel sort of guy, but the reality is, I mean, he's a hell of a player at Michigan. So reportedly he's, you know, he was kicking the tires on Maryland, kicking the tires on Georgetown because he's from the area. What does he do there? And now he's being recruited by Kentucky and Kansas. And I kind of think that's one of the two places that he'll end up, right? And if you're going to leave Michigan and Juwan Howard as a four-year starter, you're going to leave one, not just for the most money, but a place where you feel like you can win a national championship. And those two places you can And he's probably more important, frankly, to to Kentucky than he is to Kansas uh, because himself always finds a way, right? Whereas Cal is a little bit of desperation there. And Cal is banking on his recruiting class. And going back to the start of the NIL discussion, can you really win with 18, 19, 20-year-olds against 23, 24-year-olds? You know, um, that's hard. And he's a, I believe he's a winning player, a damn good one, a really tough one. And though, yeah, he can be a bit of a dick, you need that, <laughs> right? He's just, you do. You need need an older player that's not, not afraid to make big plays, to be himself, to lead a team on the road, and that's Hunter Dickinson. But, I mean, you know, again, think about Hunter Dickinson. Like, Is he an NBA player? If he was an NBA player, he would have left for the NBA draft a long time ago. So, uh, you know, on many levels, it's smart. Hey, dude, you can play another year. You can make well into mid six figures maybe seven figures if he goes to goes goes to Kentucky or Kansas right I mean that's a legitimate thought that how much that he can get and it's smart to do so on the other hand when it's all said and done is he a Kentucky guy or a Kansas guy right like is he you know like that's part of your basketball family that's everything you do and what is how welcome does he At Michigan, as a Michigan man, keep in mind he, I believe, has a Michigan degree. So he fulfilled his service, but he could also have stayed there for another year. He could still go back there for another year. It's just going to be interesting to look at this point right now, fast forward to 10 years from now, because every guy I know still feels associated and tied to the school that they went to. And when things go bad or they want to, you know, redo their life or get into coaching or, you know, do pharmaceutical sales, whatever, the people you call on are the people who cheered for you or played with you in college, right? What happens to these guys that played four or five years at a good school, and then they left and played, you know, for nine months at another good school? Where's their home? That's fascinating to me. Uh, We'll talk about that more in future pods. I have one coming up, uh, my next pod with Darren Heitner, who negotiates a lot of these NIL deals and you'll get a much greater insight into how it works from his perspective as a lawyer and agent and representative of some of these players.
0: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
1: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming!
0: terms and conditions apply
2: let's talk NBA for a second I'm really bothered by the coverage and treatment of Kawhi Leonard I saw Stephen A. Smith say that always he's he's the worst superstar ever and he's done with him he should just go retire like how have we gotten to this place where it's ever acceptable I I am just like anybody else I hate load management and my belief is that basketball players play basketball right like you're going to play most basketball players play basketball six days in a week, you know, <laughs> and twice on Sunday. So I hate the idea that we have, you know, you get to a point where like, I get it, the NBA season's hard. It's long, It's difficult, but we're, we're treating medical professionals advice like it's gold. And yet we haven't done that in sports for the longest time and we've always kind of taken their advice previously as i get it but that's for normal human beings right like a speech i give to kids all the time is like what's your dream car you know and they all tell you something crazy right oh a lamborghini or a ferrari or heck even like a a five s550 mercedes-benz those are great cars right an audi s8 pick the car it's always fast it's always high powered it's always a luxury car, right? And you go to the gas station the first time you got to fill up and does it say? Must take 92 octane, right? And then you explain to them, like, do you know, do you know a car can run on 87? They're like, it can? Like, yeah, it can. it's fine. It can run on 87. But do you want to find out <laughs> or do you want to get peak performance out of your car? Right? Like, you're going to go and, you know, go cruising or race a buddy or, you know, if, you know, you get done, you sign a million dollar contract. You just use a million dollar contract. You go and get uh, your the, your dream car. Are you going to put the crummy gas in it? And they'll all go like, nah, man, I'm not going to put the crummy gas in it. Okay. Well, your engine is like that of an S8 a Ferrari, a Lamborghini. You don't have a normal, you don't have a Toyota Camry engine. Why would you put 87 octane into you? Right? And so there's a, there's, there's a, there's a parallel there. And, you know, you try and get kids to understand that they're different than regular human beings. They can, it's what's the Chris Rock line. You can drive a car with your feet, but that doesn't make it a good idea, right? You can live on pizza and Gatorade and, you know, grab some chips or some Funyuns or some pork rinds in between games. And will your engine run? Yes. Will you get performance? Probably not. Well, the same sort of understanding needs to come from the medical community. And always has like you and me, we sprain our ankle walking down the street. You know, we step in a hole or we're playing adult league basketball. You know, you're on crutches. You shut it down for a month because you're a normal civilian. An NBA player sprains his ankle and, you know, they're rehabbing around the clock. And depending upon the severity of the spring, they may, they can probably play in the next couple of days, right? They're different, but yet we're treating, we're treating the normal protocol for a normal human being as if it's the gold standard for the NBA. So I don't love load bands. Okay? but I've been kind of quietly watching Kawhi Leonard the last two months, last month and a half of the regular season, the first couple weeks of the playoffs, or first two games of the playoffs. And we can go back and forth between KD or Kawhi. And I consider Jokic as well. I mean, you have to, I guess, put Giannis in that same. But if I need to win a game, Those are the two guys that I think right now in the NBA playoffs, I got to win a game. Those are the two guys I call upon. Right. And that's a reasonable pick. And you can throw in there any of the usual other suspects. Um, There's three, Embiid, Jokic, and Giannis. And my argument against the other three would, would be both, you know, Kawhi is super efficient at both ends. And has become a better passer. Not a great passer. That's the only thing. The all the others have that I think he's probably the fifth best passer of that group, but an improving passer. But everything else he does—rebounding, defending, scoring—at three levels, you know, efficiency—he's uh, as good or better than anybody outside of KD as a scorer, right? So if I'm going to say, hey, to win a game or a series in the NBA, because the problem with like Jokic and Embiid. Is who can they guard when you go small? And the problem with with Giannis is still like, end of the day, he can't shoot. You know that's that's his his biggest weakness, and that's the most valued, I believe, commodity in the NBA. So if I go, hey, of the of the guys you'd most want to have to win a game in the NBA, Kawhi Leonard's on any list, and I think he's one B or number two to KD. So you have Stephen A. Smith essentially saying he's faking it or he's overreacting to a tweak in his knee without any sort of medical background or knowledge. It's complete bullshit. Like when did we get to that point? Like there is a limit to what you can talk about in terms of load management. He's not missing playoff games when Paul George isn't playing because he wants to. Like that dude is a fierce competitor. Yeah. I think the Clippers have to be on some level cursed, right? I mean, how do you explain not just all of the injuries or flops to draft picks with Donald Sterling or, you know, Chris Paul getting hurt, you know, or, I mean, heck, even when I was a kid and Larry Brown was the coach and they were good, remember they had the LA riots. So they had to play their home games in the playoffs, the Anaheim convention center, like you name it. And of course, you know, Kawhi getting hurt a couple years ago, Paul George getting COVID last year, right? All of the, it's, it's always something and it's never good. And you, at some point you kind of feel bad for the Clippers and think, are they cursed? But I, I just, I got to tell you, I'm not down with the treatment of Kawhi Leonard. I'm, I'm just not. And I don't have any firsthand knowledge on the severity of the injury. But if you think that guy doesn't want to be playing, you haven't paid any sort of attention. He's been incredible the last month and a half. He's put himself in, in position to have a remarkable, playoff run and he was playing like it even when paul george you know tweaked his knee and got hurt and they're just snake bit not gonna play in game four today as we drop this pod i just sometimes you just go like man you just feel really bad for a guy a team player being snake bit and and i do you do wonder like hey i understand the load management and i understand he's different because he's coming off an acl injury but There is, you do wonder whether or not playing more basketball better prepares your body for the playoffs, for the the stress of it. You know, in that, in an effort to protect your body so that you're at peak physical condition in the playoffs, you have load management. Do you actually do the opposite where your body breaks down easier because you haven't been playing as much basketball? And then we got the Lakers. Now I'm going to report back tomorrow on the Lakers because going to the Laker game tonight. And be able to give you a real sense of what's really going on. And it's, they're a fascinating team because, you know, LeBron is, he scores and he passes, but oftentimes they're at their worst when he's in the game trying to do the old LeBron stuff where he holds the ball too long because he doesn't, he doesn't have the ability to go by guys. He doesn't always get downhill on guys. And because he doesn't move as well as he used to and he tires like any human being in their late 30s that oftentimes causes his passes to be just off, whereas he used to be an incredible passer. He still feels it and senses it and has all this, but there's definitely a decline in his reactions and in some of the timing of the passes, and that has to be because of age, uh, which causes fatigue. That, that's my hypothesis on it. Nonetheless, Anthony Davis is a big time, and they've been able to to get Austin Reeves to play way better defensively, and then his offense, obviously in game one, was elite, And then trying to figure out which of the two point guards, you know, have it on a given night. I think the whole thing is working way better than anyone could have thought. On the other hand, you know, the Grizzlies, why do they play better without, you know, without jaw in many ways? Well, because the ball moves. And though they don't have players that you would line up and say are better players historically than LeBron James, because they're shooting threes, because the ball is moving, it's always been a way to navigate having inferior talent. And it's the way basketball has played now, at even at the highest level. So I'm fascinated to see if the Lakers can get out of this round in the playoffs. or if the you know, or if at the end of the day, and what happens obviously with Dylan Brooks saying, Hey, I don't respect anybody until they give me 40. Okay, what happens if he gives you 40? Does that actually help the Lakers win? Right? Because what's interesting about Kind of challenging LeBron to give him forty is, if you look back historically, the plan oftentimes in the Eastern Conference and sometimes in the Finals was, hey, make LeBron score forty or score fifty to beat you. Don't let him, you know, be the passer and creator, with the idea in mind that carrying the load like that is so exhausting that by the fourth quarter he won't have it in the tank, and and that worked. You know, that was I think the Warriors' game plan. Uh, when they played him in the finals, and I, I think it generally worked. You look at his production in the second half, you Just you get at some point you get fired carrying the entire team, and that's by design, not just what you'd want to do offensively, but what the defense makes you do. And, you know, at that point in time in his career, he was a really important cog defensively. Now he is a guy they almost try and hide and use his physical strength because his, his movement isn't nearly as good defensively. So let's say he goes for 40 or 45 tonight. Does that actually make the Lakers better? Or does that make the Lakers worse? And to people who say, well, Dylan Brooks, this is all part of the plan. I don't think so. I think that's just Dylan Brooks being Dylan Brooks. And we in the media, we always take the bait on guys like this. But the, you know, the truth is that he just runs his mouth to run his mouth. And that's how he likes to play. And it can rattle certain guys. And I don't think it rattles LeBron James. I just wonder if LeBron James takes the bait and tries to tries to do what, you remember that one time Tom Brady got called out by a rookie uh, safety for the Pittsburgh Steelers or what What Jordan would do or what Kobe would do if you questioned their skill level at any point in their career. They'll try and eliminate you. So I, I think that element to it is really, really interesting. And then the last part is I think that, that something sneaking up on the NBA playoffs is that the Nuggets might actually be the best team. And what has been missing from them is Jamal Murray. And if you watched in the bubble, Jamal Murray might have been the best player in the bubble until they got eliminated. And now with the surrounding cast and their ability to play without Jokic and to go small, I think they fixed their chemistry getting rid of Bones Highland. They have enough offense. They have better depth than Phoenix. And by the way, if they play Phoenix, you know you can play Jokic against uh, DeAndre Ayton, whereas you know against the Warriors, he can struggle to cover at times. The more I watch, the more I think, hey, we may have missed the fact that the Nuggets are actually the best team. And now that Jamal Murray is playing like Jamal Murray of a couple years ago in the bubble, we need to pay attention before they win an NBA championship and we say how that actually happened. All right, so there's some early thoughts on NBA playoffs. I have more thoughts on some of these other players uh, in the NBA playoffs and teams and what happens to Trey Young. I'll share with you in future pods. In regards to the NBA draft, Again, that—that's my point is, this is not a strong draft. Obviously, we know who's going one. I think Scoot Henderson goes two, but I'm not totally convinced. But outside of the top five or top ten, because of the definite weakness in guys that jump off the page and are ready to play in the draft, it probably keeps more players in than need to be in. That's usually the case, but maybe even more so this year. The interesting part is going to be, how quickly players bail knowing they could, you know, they could make more money in college and, you know, do the same song and dance next year. Because if you're, you only keep your name in the draft, if you're a second round pick or and you get promised, you're going to get a two way two way. You can make around $300,000. You can make more than that in college. Many of these kids, they just don't want to go to school, even though they don't go in person anymore. They don't want to go period. And they're lies the rub. Can you make more than 300000 Are you guaranteed you're going to make that money in in the pros? If not, go back to college, collect your money, try and improve your stock, and do the same song and dance next year. All right, uh, there you go. So a little educational pod, a little thoughtful pod, and a little different way of, of approaching it. A reminder, the Doug Gottlieb Show is daily, 3 to 5 Eastern, 12 to 2 Pacific. That's a daily radio show covering all sports. We're getting ready for the NFL Draft upcoming now. And we cover the NBA playoffs a ton. Um, we'll be dropping a bunch of pods this week. I appreciate you listening. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball.